Hi, everyone. I'm Brandon Sewell, owner of Seal Pro Painting and the host of the Off the Ladder podcast. We exist to help home service business owners learn so that they can lead well and ultimately live life off of the ladder. I'm really excited about today's guest. I've got Dan Antonelli. He is the founder of Kick Charge Creative. I actually heard about him for the first time on Tommy Mello's podcast, The Home Service Expert. I've read um, Dan's book. It is called Branded, Not Blanded, and it is phenomenal, uh, just the wisdom that he shares about branding your company. Um, So without further ado, I want to introduce Mr. Dan Antonelli. Thank you for being on the show. What's up, Brandon? Thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. So um, a couple of years ago, I heard you on uh, Tommy's uh, podcast, and that's where I really first um, got introduced to you. And um, once I started the podcast, I was like, man, I would love to have you on here and just kind of pick your brain about, you know, branding. And obviously, you're very well known in the home service industry for the wraps um, that you do. And uh, I think it's a very, um, I want to say controversial topic, you know, like you have a lot of guys who argue that it's not important and it can be like overdone and it's a waste of money. Um, But I've read your book and the, um, the data that you provide says otherwise. And uh, I mean, I was um, blown away by some of the ROI that people saw in their business once they got their branding done. Um, so, you know, as I was saying before the show, the, our audience and who we're trying to help is guys out there who are trying to grow a business. So, you know, I think one of the questions that would come up for somebody who is new to business, they're trying to go from working out in the field and, you know, really just build a business that they can work, uh, on instead of in what time frame do you think? branding comes into play and how important it is uh, for a home service business? Okay. I feel like there's a lot of questions in there. (laughs) Sure. So I would say a few things when you think about, you know, when you were talking earlier about how some people aren't huge fans of the truck wraps, maybe they don't think it works or maybe they think that they're, it's not going to be effective. The reality is, for most companies, that's actually a fair assessment. Most of the truck wraps you see on the road today actually are not performing the way that they should be. They're not right. delivering an ROI because generally speaking, the branding, which is foundational to the success of a truck wrap, is the mm-hmm. problem. So not having an effective brand is going to almost guarantee that you cannot have an effective truck wrap design that is going to deliver the type of ROI that it should. So I completely agree with that. You know, when I'm driving and I'm looking at some of these, these trucks, I'm, I'm sad. I'm disappointed that somebody sold that to that business owner because they've marginalized their chance of success by that particular design or not knowing how to design effectively. So it's sad to me. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to put the book more so in 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 owner's hands, not necessarily designer's hands. I mean, I'm happy if designers learn from it, but I wanted the owners to be educated more about what it actually takes to build an effective brand so that they can almost, like you said, like, what should I do from day one? If they can invest 
from day one in a, in a strong brand that's so foundational. It's so critical to the rest of their success, to the rest of their marketing plan, the ROI on their marketing. Uh, so you miss that first piece and you do it wrong. Then you're going to be spending essentially a lifetime working to overcome that initial error in the beginning. And uh, one of the most fundamental things is even the naming, right? So what do we name our company? Well, I don't know. Let me name it after myself. Let me name it after my kids' initials. Let me name it after um, something like that. And then you find out, again, all bad ideas. You know, it doesn't work. We'll never become sticky in a homeowner's mind without a ton of money being thrown at it. So, you know, I wanted to put that information out there. So if you're starting from day one um, and you read this book, oh my God, it'll save you so much heartache down the road. But even <laughs> if you're a couple of years in, and you read the book, it'll still obviously really help you understand, oh my God, like this is why I'm struggling with this piece, or this is why this is not working as well as it could. And it'll help give you so much more insights as to the consumer psychology behind a good brand. And ultimately, I think, you know, there's so much good information like that, that would really help them um, and, and really just make it so that the marketing spend is as effective as it can be. And that's, again, the big thing that we see is the ability for a well-branded company to spend less money overall on their marketing because they don't need to. You know, when they think about LSA, wouldn't it be better instead of someone having to Google, you know, heating repair near me, they were simply typing in your name from day one. And there's a really crazy stat that is in the book that talks, and you may remember that just talks about the percentage of people that know the name of a home service contractor in their market. And it's scary how few know the name of an actual home service company. I think it was like 85% for on average, whether it's plumbing, whether it's painting, HVAC. So 85% of the people in your own community have no idea who you are. Right. So what does that mean? How much is that going to cost me to get those 85% of the people to know who I are? Well, what, what if I could do something that would make it so more people knew my name and understood what we did and remembered me when they actually needed service so that they just typed in my name into Google, right? Google right. hates well-branded companies because they don't make nearly as much money off of a well-branded company as they do as a poorly branded one. Sure. And I think you refer to like that as like your brand equity and your community, correct? Like, mm -hmm. so not having yeah. that um, presence is, um, is detrimental. Um, I love that you kind of, I picked up, uh, you put five rules to follow. Cause I, I like how you mentioned that, you know, there could be guys out there who did a rap um, and they have one, right? They have a fleet. They, let's say they have four or five vehicles to wrap, but it's not working. Right. And I know you put five rules. You put, you know, have a great brand, have no images, uh, limit your copy or ad copy, yeah. uh, have a design that stands out and doesn't fit in, um, and have it simple, legible, and obvious. And so I love that that's pretty, like, straightforward. And one of the first brands that I think of is, like, Tommy's. You know, he's a great example where, like, I remember his initial raps had, like, you know, images of like a house and garage. And um, mm -hmm. can you speak to why that's effective, like transforming it to where now he has like the mascot and the, you know, fonts and um, the simplicity of it and how that can transform it and make it more effective? Yeah. I mean, one of the issues that Tommy had was that he had a van that was using photography. So we don't generally ever 
have photography on any of our truck wraps and well why don't you have photography well you shouldn't need photography to help communicate what it is that you actually provide if you're relying on photography to communicate that that means that there's a fundamental issue with the brand itself so in tommy's case he was featured on all his pre previous brands and his truck wrap design so he was always on there he was visible on his ads things like that so he was sort of the persona of that particular brand so we thought okay let's leverage his persona but let's fix all the other things that were wrong with it. Let's delete basically the photograph of the, the house and the garage. It's really hard to tell actually what you're even looking at. Uh, let's make sure A1 Garage is designed in a manner that is very legible from a distance that I could read quickly as it's driving by. Let's delete all the extraneous words that don't need to be there. Words like, you know, ins installation, repair, service. You know, words mm -hmm. like that that add no value, right? And let's distill it to its simplest form. So again, really quickly, I can look at it and I understand this is a garage door company. It's A1, A1, A1. Like I keep seeing it, A1. And now I can remember it much easier. And then let's look at colors and let's see what colors from the old brand made sense to leverage into the new brand. And red was one of those colors. And then I needed to add other colors to it to make it so that it felt more premium. So I went with red and then the ivory and then brown. Now, if you say, hey, let's start a new company and let's let's brand it with red, brown, and ivory. Well, that sounds <laughs> a little weird. Like that sounds like that shouldn't even work or make sense. But that's again, more the idea of owning your own brand colors in your particular market. So we think about colors as another mechanism to aid in being memorable. So right. we don't like red, white, and blue brands. We've done tons of them if we have to. But if you were starting from day one, I would tell you never to use red, white, and blue. It doesn't mean I'm not patriotic. It just means it's really hard for you to claim ownership of those particular colors. So color is another aspect of that. And again, working with Tommy, we're like, I need to soften this image. I want this image to feel premium. When you roll up their driveway, I want the homeowner to feel there's a reason why maybe this estimate is higher than everyone else's because it's a premium service. It's a premium, premium product. Um, and a lot of that, like we saw his average tickets really increase. We saw his close ratios increase. Um, we really unified all of his marketing channels again so that that color scheme was so dominant on his site signs, on his billboards, on his Valpac ads. Like every time you saw or touched something from an A1 piece of marketing, right away you knew it was from a1 and again that that repetition of that unique color scheme the unique aspect of that brand has really you know i mean he's blown up i mean he's gone from i think it was 40 million dollars in revenue when we rebranded him and i think they were 250 when he sold to private equity so i mean it's it's yeah. crazy and it was only three years after rebranding but it's also an interesting story too is just the idea that tommy was at 40 million in revenue and most guys at 40 million in revenue, I'm sure not at the top of the list to say, oh my God, let's completely rebrand this whole organization. Um, right. Why don't most companies do it at that? Because it's, well, it's scary. And you think mm -hmm. that everything you've been doing up to that point justifies why you should never change it, right? So Tommy's one of those guys where it's certainly, he understands that what he's doing today isn't good enough for tomorrow. And he recognized that where he wanted to go he was going to have a much harder time getting there unless he pivoted and made that change. And you could ask him, like, he'll say that that was probably the best investment he really made into the company. 
and how that was yeah. a significant catalyst for such you know aggressive change and growth subsequent to that. Are you a home service business owner? Do you have a strategic way to get reviews for your business on Google, Facebook, and other platforms? If you don't, then you need to implement NiceJob. Since implementing NiceJob, we have grown our reviews from 10 all the way up to over 60 reviews online in less than a year. If you're interested in using this feature in your business and growing your Google My Business reviews, then click on the link in the show notes and sign up for a free trial of NiceJob. And let me know if you sign up so I can help you to implement it and get a strategy in place with your team to get more reviews so you can start winning on Google and beating out your competition locally. Yeah. And I like how in your book, you argue that point that it's, you know, for, uh, let's say a guy or a gal out there who has a company now and they're thinking, man, this is like a big investment for me to do my branding. Well, to your point, it's less expensive to do it now than to grow to like, you know, let's say you're doing X amount of revenue and you're more established and set in all of those ways. You have more employees. Um, it's it's harder to uh, make that transition once you get bigger. So why not just start off on the right foot? If so hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And you know, to your to your point, also, I think it's an investment. You know, you make the point a lot in the book um, that the there was a, a quote that you had in there, and I don't want to uh, um, misquote it, but it was something along the lines that you know, basically that if your branding isn't on point, you're going to pay more for marketing and advertising, right? Yeah. Because um, people don't know who you are. It's not sticking with them. So you have to invest more money um, to try and get attention drawn to you. Whereas if you just have a memorable brand that people know, like, and trust, then it's, it's much easier. Um you know, it, it's funny, as I was reading your book, I was thinking of like some things I felt like I got right. Um, and I was like, man, there's so much that I still have to work on to try and like dial in my brand. But like one of the things I did uh, when I created my brand is I didn't use my name. I didn't use initials. I went with the seal. Um, so I was like, I can have a mascot. Um, I actually have a funny story where I had a, I surf. So I live here on the East Coast of Florida. And I grew up surfing and I was, I was surfing and I got out of the water and this guy walks up to me and he starts talking to me about surfing. And, you know, so we just strike up conversation shares with me. He just sold his pizza business in New York and relocated down here. And he asked me what I do. And I was like, Oh, I own a painting company. And he goes seal pro painting. And I was like, yeah, how'd you know that? He's like, I saw your uh, truck and he's like, it just stuck in my brain, like the seal and, you know, I was like, man, yeah. what does a seal have to do with painting? But um, so I think I, I really like that point. I think it's, uh, you know, a lot of people out there, they use their names um, and things like that. Can you speak to the naming part again and kind of dial in on why that's important? Yeah, I mean, you you have the epitome of the hallmarks of what you want to see in a brand name, 
So as soon as you say your name, Seal Pro, if I didn't see the logo on your shirt, I already have an idea in my mind of what your logo should look like. Right. right. Well, it's gonna we're gonna use a seal. Why wouldn't we use a seal? Like we did a brand called Red Seal um, Plumbing. Um, they're in they're in Canada, and it's essentially a red seal on the side of the van. <laughs> like I'm gonna say, well, that's that's you know real original there. Um, but it's obvious, and it's something that people um, when they see they can associate the image with that particular name. So you've made that connection already by having a name that reflects a visual to go along with it if it was your last name well what am i supposed to put with that what what, what right. image am i supposed to put with your last name that will automatically as soon as i see that image i think of your last name well there's nothing well how do i overcome that well again i need to just spend a lot more money on marketing and there's plenty of successful last name brands or even brands with initials but how much did that cost them to get recognized or get that idea of that five mile famous in that community probably a ton of advertising it took to get people to maybe even know that. Whereas something that was stickier would have been recognized and remembered far quicker. So we like to say in the book, certainly the biggest chapter in the book, I think actually is on naming because I feel like that that's something that so many get wrong from day one, but you know, the last name brands are difficult names with use initials are really the worst you could ever name your company. Mm -hmm. Like if your if your company name was BS painting, <laughs> you know, and obviously the BS probably wouldn't be ideal, but it, let's say it right. was DA painting. Like, why would I ever remember that? And how would I ever associate a promise to it as well? So the idea of brand promise is the other piece of it. So you can have a name that delivers a visual and also perhaps delivers a promise. Now already, imagine you're talking in an elevator and you said to the, to the person on the elevator, oh, you know, I'm Dan from Pro Painting. Well, it sounds like a company that, obviously is doing something well it's it's called pro painting so they're professional but if it was i'm dan from antonelli's painting well why, why do i think that that's a good thing or a bad thing like i haven't associated the promise with the last name that takes advertising for people to associate a promise with a last name i'd rather lead in with something that infers a promise than rely on marketing to have to deliver the promise Right. So it's always going to be more expensive to deliver a promise that's not inherent in the naming. And that's, again, the biggest challenge with last name brands. So if you can avoid that from day one, oh, my God, you'll save a ton of heartache. Yeah. And I know in in the in that chapter, you call them disruptive names. You want a disruptive name, something that's going to, you know, um, really stick in somebody's mind. So I, I know that that was a really big thing for me. I didn't want to blend in or become bland by having like soul painting or um you know prestige painting or you know the best painters because it's so like generic right um so if you could help the um the listener who's you know they're a small business how you know they might not feel like they have the resources to invest in something like their brand what do you think are some of the most like foundational things to obviously the name is important you know your logo like if you're going to pick a mascot but what kind of things um should they be focusing on like investing in print um digital you know how important are uniforms how important are you know your hats your truck wraps your website how does all of that play together and what should be some of like those initial investments that you make? Is it the truck wrap, you know, before you invest any money in anything else? Is it like, 
get the truck wrapped and then worry about the website. What what are your thoughts there? How does somebody take that and apply it? You know, the truck represents the lowest cost per impression by far of any medium that exists. Um, so if you can get a solid brand done first, so the first step, obviously try to get the name incorrect, then try to get an actual logo that will work effectively on that actual truck wrap and then getting the truck wrap done. Um, seeing that van in the communities that you serve is really important, right? So that if I see it on my neighbor's driveway and it's memorable and I know the name, my neighbor has already somewhat pre-qualified that company to me now because, well, they're using them. They probably did a bunch of research. I trust my neighbor. And if my neighbor used them, then I probably already instinctively think that they're, they'd be okay for me, right? So making the, the most of every impression that you can make within the community, right? So that's that's obviously one piece of it. Simple things like sight signs, like invest in sight signs, but don't get generic white sight signs that are 18 by 24 that blend into every other sight sign. Get a full color sight sign. Um, maybe don't make it square. If you have a mascot, maybe make it so the mascot pops out of the side of it and it's partly square, but it's die cut around the mascot. Again, the idea of disruption, right? Think about how I can do something that doesn't look like what everyone else is doing, right? So you're right. on the job for three days doing an install or something like that. Ask the homeowner to leave it out on the driveway for you. You know, offer them $25 off their, their invoice if they let you keep the sign out there for a week or something like that. Again, everyone driving by will see it. Oh, that's my neighbor. He got it done. So those are some of the more of the grassroots things. I mean, I also still believe in the simple things like door hangers. So, you know, you're working on a house, you know, you're going to be there three, four days. Door hangers can sometimes work. Hey, we're going to be in your neighborhood working. If you hear any noise or any inconvenience that we have, just please let us know. Like, you know, we want to be good neighbors. Like things like that can certainly help out. Of course, the digital needs to be done. The Facebook ads that, you know, the Facebook marketing, your social media stuff, try to get some of those things done. But, you know, you're going to have to invest to try to get some leads online because it's not all going to come organically just from people seeing your truck. Um, so just basically try to have a plan like that. You know, the other thing that you see a lot of people, especially newcomers get traction in is a lot of the Facebook community pages is right. where, you know, someone's like, oh, I'm looking for a painter and, you know, be there, be visible, be, be able to give tips to that, that community and that, that group. Um, and again, if you able to give a, a lead or a recommendation, a link to your Facebook page and they hit it and they see that everything's professional, that you've got, you know, nice reviews from people, et cetera. Like again, perception wise, well, what do I think about this painting company? Do I want the one truck painting company um, that, I don't know if they're going to be in business if something goes wrong next year, whether it's painting or HVAC, whatever the case may be. Um, or do I want somebody that's going to be more professional that I can trust in my home. That's not going to steal things from me because you got to remember too, every homeowner brings to the table the bias. And certainly we talk a lot about that in the book too, is the, the bias that homeowners have against contractors in general and, and making sure that your brand speaks to that bias that makes them feel comfortable. That makes them feel like this is a professional organization that, I'm willing to pay more for because of that expertise and that professionalism. I trust them more because they're going to be inside my home. Um, and remembering too, that women make up the largest demographic that the brand needs to actually appeal to. 
So making sure that she remains at the forefront of your thought process as you're thinking about branding, because ultimately she's the one that's making the initial phone call. She's the one that maybe is going to be home to let you in. So those are all the things that the brand needs to communicate to her as well. So I think one mistake you see owners make too is they design brands that they personally like. It's all about them and what they like. Instead of thinking about, oh my God, it's really a woman and she's aged, you know, 40 to 60 years old. She's got two kids. She's got a dog. And she's got a kid in college. Like, what is she like? And how do I build a brand right. that actually speaks to her? So always making sure. So like sometimes I like one of the more common things that I, I know I have it in the book too is, you know, people using these super aggressive mascots or, you know, right. you know, and, and, you know, it looks intimidating. And I'm like, why would you ever put a brand that looks intimidating to women when they're already worried about who's coming to their home? Why do I want to add to that anxiety? I need to make them feel at ease that you're actually coming to their home, not apprehensive about that visit. So those are just, you know, definitely a few tips there that I think, you know, if you can implement some of those things. And again, these things don't happen overnight. It takes it takes some time, but those are some basic fundamentals where again, you see people investing and, you know, a lot of that marketing spend that they're doing is not being invested properly because that foundation isn't done well. So if you can fix that piece as early as possible, you'll gain traction faster. Are you a home service business owner that is trying to get off the ladder and work on your business instead of in it? Well, you need a robust CRM that is going to help your business to be more efficient and streamlined so that you can get your time back to focus on things that are going to help your business grow. Now, Jobber is going to help you to manage your client requests, your quotes, your jobs, and your invoicing. You can do everything all in one place and manage everything from start to finish. And not to mention jobber payments. You don't have to chase around checks, try to go and collect cash, or wait for checks to come in the mail anymore. You can just get paid right on the spot with jobber payments. If you're interested in implementing jobber into your business, click on the show notes below and sign up for a free trial of jobber. That's not it. Reach out to me. I want to help make sure that you maximize everything that jobber has to offer so that you can get your business growing right away. Thank you so much. And let's get back to the Off the Ladder podcast. Yeah, and I think just to emphasize the point that you're making is like with your brand, it's really about how you're making people feel, you know, and and what, what emotion does your brand evoke when that person sees it and, you know, like you said, I, I've seen uh, home service business owners, um, you know, in my community who they have like this, like crazy, gnarly looking bear that's like got vicious teeth and it's, and they're a, you know, a track company and it's, it, it doesn't give you that sense of comfort and they have really aggressive colors. And um, so I, I like, you know, that you even talk about colors and how important, like, you know, color psychology is and how different colors make, um, you know, people feel and they can even have different connotations and different meanings behind them. I know you gave the example of uh, like a doctor or a, some type of medical practice that had red and black and it was like red was life and black was death and yeah, you know, or blood and then death. Blood. And so, 
Yeah. And, you know, I just I think a lot of people overlook the importance of these things and think that it doesn't matter. Um, but the reality is, is like, even if it's subconscious, the, these little decisions that we're making, like the difference between having a, you know, friendly looking puppy versus a aggressive looking bear makes in your branding and, you know, all of these little details, the, the colors and how they make somebody feel and, um, you know, how that makes your customer feel when you show up to serve them. I think it's really important. And, Kind of to to go back on like the ROI of this, I know there was a stat that you put in the book that like when you do the wrap, um, the it's like a 74% um, return on investment, I think. Was that, was that the stat that was in there? Um, I, I mean, it, it should be better than 74% honestly over, over the the lifetime of it but a lot of these companies i mean the wrap is paid for itself right know, within weeks uh, in in some instances you know um, depending on the industry you know obviously depending on the ticket but certainly the ROI on a well branded truck will be significantly better than the ROA on any other medium you think about the cost per lead on LSA or PPC right different industries. I mean, some people it's, it's a, a few hundred dollars a lead. And, um, you know, again, the, the cost per impression on vehicles is so, so much better than anything else. You look at how much it would cost you to rent a billboard in your community for a month versus mm -hmm. a truck wrap that'll last five years. And it's right. kind of a no brainer, really. It, it, it still surprises me that there's people still you, driving around in white vans. Like that just blows my mind. It's just like you're right. missing the most significant impact that you could have from a marketing perspective by having a white van. Like we call that white van syndrome, where it's just a, a van right. that's going to blend into everyone else's. Yeah, uh, I know you mentioned that um, in the book. Um, it, now, something that I'm uh, I'm just curious on for myself is how many people do you think that invest in like let's say using your company or um, um a marketing agency who you know provides this type of service um are just coming out the gate and dropping you know the cash to invest in it or are they taking out loans to do this and looking at it as like an investment um can you speak to that side of things at all because my like what just comes to my mind is um, you know, as a small business owner myself, I'm nowhere near Tommy's size. I'm, you know, I'm trying to grow my business. Um, how does somebody in my shoes or somebody who's even a smaller company than me kind of wrap their head around the, the cost of the investment to do the branding? Um, I think, you know, it's, it's interesting, but I would say, uh, probably 50% of our clients are under a million dollars in revenue. Um, okay. when they hire us, we do a lot of startups, but you have to be a startup that has budgeted for this from day one. So you have to be right. capitalized to, you know, take advantage of it from day one. A lot of people are not, you know, set mm -hmm. up from day one to really invest, but I would say it's surprising to me sometimes how many people are even, you know, $250,000 in revenue or, or less. And they understand that this investment is is 
an investment is ultimately what it is. And and the irony right. sometimes too is you have the same people who say, I don't have the money or I can't find the money to invest in branding, but they can find four or $5,000 a month to spend to Google. And that's <laughs> kind of the weird part of it, right? So So we're okay spending this much money on Google every month, but not addressing the core root of why we need to spend this much on Google. And it's because we don't even exist in the community that we're serving. And so we're relying on Google to put our name in front of people instead of putting our name in front of people just by the very, just by being in that community, essentially. So, um, you know, people, you know, dig deep to do it, you know, for sure. And they save up money to invest in it. But again, the number one thing that we hear for people who have gone through the process is I, again, I wish I had done this sooner. I wish I had invested in this, you know, much earlier. I would have saved so much money on this wasteful advertising that wasn't yielding a result. Um, and I kept on throwing money at it and throwing money at it. And it just wasn't, wasn't working. So no one goes through the process after and says, oh my God, this was a huge waste of money or I should never have done this or this, this didn't work. I can't, I can't think of a single instance in which that's happened. And we do around 200 or 250 brands a year, I would say at this point, but the most common thing that we definitely hear is we should have done this a lot, a lot sooner, or I wish I knew about you sooner, or I wish I knew about this sooner. Um, so yeah. um, I get it though. It's, it is an investment a hundred percent and it's, it's a significant investment. It's not cheap. When you consider, you know, the fees to do the branding, the fees to do the truck wrap design to then get uniforms, like you've got to be ready for those expenses and understand that. But um, again, it's just a, a huge investment in infrastructure. And again, sometimes it's the same, same people who, oh my God, I can't afford to do that, but I can afford a $50,000 new Ford Transit. You know, it's like, okay, well, let's, let's maybe, you know, get the $25,000 Ford Transit and, and leave 25 on the table to do something. And then later on, we'll get the brand new Ford Transit, you know, so, so sometimes it's just a mindset shift on what are the highest priorities for us right this moment. Um, and the other piece that we haven't even really talked about is even the idea of recruitment. So you hear and yeah, you probably heard so many guys talk about the challenges with recruitment. Like I can't find anybody that wants to work here. No one wants to work. It's costing me so much money to spend on recruitment. Well, is it because you have a brand that doesn't look like anyone wants to work for? Like, could that actually be a problem? What if you had this amazing brand that um, looked like a place I wanted to be a part of? Like you look at the branding that we did for Grasshopper Heating and Air in Albany um, for uh, Amanda Triolo, who's the CEO there. She doesn't have a recruitment problem. Well, why, why doesn't she have a recruitment problem? Because she's built an amazing culture. She's built an amazing brand there um, that people want to be associated with. So she's got more right. people just knocking on a door every day. I want to be a part of this because of what the brand communicates. Um, and she was a company that we renamed also. They used to be called PMA Mechanical. So mm -hmm. they went from PMA Mechanical to Grasshopper. And there's a whole brand story that revolves around Grasshopper. But, you know, where she wanted to go, I don't think she gets there if she keeps the name PMA Mechanical, you know. So mm -hmm. looking at you know, invest the looking at it from an investment perspective. Yes, it's an investment, but you could ask anyone that has gone through a rebrand that has been done properly. And I don't think you'll find anyone that would say this wasn't a really smart decision to do.
And, and again, too, look at how long you're going to have that brand. So it's going to cost you up front, but that brand should last a very long time if it's done properly. Yeah, those are all good points. And I think uh, when I think back to my entrepreneurial journey, I've come to a lot of those points where I've like wrestled with these thoughts in my mind of, is it going to be worth it? You know, if I, if I do this, is it going to be a waste of my money or is the return on investment going to be there? And I think it's scary, you know, when you're a small business owner and you're just trying to grow your business and stack up wins. And, but what I can say is when I've had somebody who has been more successful than I have been, um, or has dealt with businesses more successful than mine and tell me what they're doing to be successful every time that I've implemented what they've told me to, it's, it's been effective. It's worked. Yeah. Right. So yeah. one of the biggest barriers is implementation, right? So we hear so often, like all of these things that are, you know, coming to us on podcasts and books. And, uh, one of the hardest things for us to do is just to, to take action. It's like, I I've read your book and I can, it's like clear to me. It's not just, you know, opinions in your book you give clear um data from companies that you've worked with that are very successful and seeing the results and it's like okay it obviously works so why am i not doing it obviously like you said you got to get over that that mindset yeah. that block in your mind of yeah. of whether 100%. it's worth it 100 um, and i'll share with you one other quick story just about data right because i think that's the most critical aspect that I look at in terms of evaluating strategies and looking at strategies moving forward. So we we work closely with another digital marketing company who has branded 25 clients of ours, okay? And mm -hmm. he's branded and he's, and he's, uh, he's worked with 25 people that we haven't done the branding for. So I said, listen, I want you to run some data for me and compare the results of the 25 companies that have a brand that we created versus 25 companies that do not have a brand that we created. And run those numbers for me and tell me what they say. So we ran the numbers because I was most interested in how many times were people searching for that name in a given month? So branded mm -hmm. keyword searches. So he compared the numbers and it was like a 10X compared wow. to, so it was, and, and this is why I actually want to update the book because I didn't have this data when I when I wrote the book last year. And I want to update it because sure. I think it's super important. But it was basically 550 branded keyword searches on average per month for a brand that we had created versus 50 for a brand that we had not created. Okay. Mm -hmm. So then I said, okay, well, what happens when they get to the site? How many convert, right? Because that's another key KPI, right? How many conversions did you get? And mm -hmm. it was double. So a better branded site was delivering 12% conversion rate compared to the other ones that we hadn't branded, which was 6%. So you want to extrapolate the 12% on the 550 leads versus the 6% on the 50 leads. And that's how many more leads per month that the better brands were generating. And that's free. Those are free branded keyword searches, right? They're not, right. not paying for them. Those are typing in the name of the company, Google delivering the organic results and, and sending them to the site. So I'm like, okay, so basically now you're talking about a difference of 10X for a better branded site. So, you know, you can talk all day long about having a brand that's pretty, that, you know, looks cool and everything like that. 
at the end of the day, the only thing that matters is how well they convert and how sticky they can live in someone's brain, right? That's the only right. benchmark that matters. I love making pretty things, but I love more when I know that the branding is converting because that's ultimately at the end of the day, that's the only metric that matters. Right. Now you do have a diagram in the book that shows uh, one of the company's search results, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, like right after they implemented the brand, yep. their their organic, or I guess, or yes, you would say like direct brand related uh, yeah. search results just skyrocketed. And yeah. I was like, wow, that, you know, that kind of speaks for itself it's there. It's crazy. Yeah. He's like, he's like, you know, and so many people say the same thing, like, I've been in this community forever and no one knew who we were. Like people thought we were a new company. We're like, no, no, no. We've been around for, you know, 10 years. Are you <laughs> were? like, really? Like I never saw your bands or I didn't know who you were. And like, that's sad to me. Like I'm, that's to me, like how much wasted time did we have all those years where we were just blending into what everyone else and no one even knew who we were in our own community. Like that's awful. Like that makes me sad. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's pretty amazing. I, I think that, um, you know, there's, there's a bigger picture to, to branding than just, you know, the, the art, I guess you would say there's, a, I think there's a lot of like psychology behind it. Um, and I think, um, you know, people are doing themselves a disservice uh, by just writing it off as like not being effective. And I know that I even you talk about this in the book, I had a coach, um, at one point who like discouraged me from doing it, you know, uh, from wrapping my trucks. And, um, I, I had thought that it would be, you know, just super key and important, but, you know, I got some contrary, um, uh, advice. And I, and I like that you address that in your book too. Cause you're like, you know, that person might have experiences being like, maybe they built a business, right? But you've been doing this for what did you say, twenty plus years, right? And Eight years, yeah. And um, from like, you know, you've uh, you've become an expert, right, in that per- particular field. Um, and so I think that it would uh, just behoove people to to listen to your advo- advice and you know to read your book um, and uh, you know really take a, a consideration into to doing the things that you're talking about. Um, I know that um, for me, I'm like, man, I've got to jump on this and make my brand better. So, um, well, anyway, I want to be respectful of your time. I know you've got to get going to another meeting. So um, I want to thank you. Is there any last, um, you know, words that you'd want to share with the listeners? Um, tell them about your book or resources that you have for yeah. uh, small home service businesses? Definitely. I mean, the, the book is called uh, Branded, Not Blanded. So you could grab that on Amazon or you could grab it on our website at kickcharge.com. I would say for people who are trying to bootstrap this and do some of this work themselves, or at least be better educated, obviously the book is a great start. If you go on YouTube and you go on our YouTube channel, there's a lot of content there. There's content of me speaking at some different events that you can watch that'll that'll teach you a lot about this. And then we did a, a series of videos, essentially before and afters where we show the prior van and then the redesign brand. And we identify what was changed, why it was changed, how to make it more effective. So I think a lot of that content 
even if you never use us, we'll certainly give you a lot of insights as to what you should be asking for your designer or your agency or whoever you decide you're going to work with. Um, so you can approach it with a really deep understanding of how it's supposed to function. So um, again, just a lot of content is on there. It's all free. There's no funnels or clickbaits or any of that, that stuff. Just, just, you know, if it helps you move your business forward, that's, that's amazing for me. That's all I want. Awesome. Well, I, I last thought there is uh, if you're looking at doing this, um, I think a really um, key chapter to read will be chapter 10. Obviously, you go over kind of like what to look for when you're hiring some important mm -hmm. questions to ask an agency, which uh, that that chapter is pretty eye opening to me because, you know, you just don't know what you don't know. So uh, do yourself a favor if you've found that this information is helpful and you're really looking to um, invest in your brand, uh, read Dan's book, um, look at starting off right, doing it the right way. And, um, you know, I think you'll be really happy that you do so. Thank you again, Dan, for your time. Thank you to my listeners for tuning in to this episode of the Off the Ladder podcast. If you're watching on YouTube, please like, subscribe, uh, turn on the notifications, share it with somebody. If you're listening on Apple or Spotify, please rate and review the podcast. That'll really help me out. Um, and also share it with somebody. Um, this is really amazing information. Don't keep it yourself. Share it with somebody else. And uh, we'll see you next time on the next episode of the Off the Ladder podcast.